This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Guys, how are we? Arnaldo, uh, if we haven't met, I'm uh, a lead pastor at Anchor Southwest and it's a real pleasure to come and uh, preach for y'all uh, this morning. Uh, if you don't know, uh, we have been commissioned, as Hope said, on, we were commissioned on September uh, 18th or, or there uh, around, and we're going to be publicly launching in uh, January 31st. And so uh, we really need you guys to be praying for us as we do that, as we uh, plan for that, as we prepare for that. There's a lot to do but nothing to prove, um, and so we're excited that God has called us to that. Uh, but we'd love your continued partnership as you think and pray um, about what God is doing in the South. West uh, through this church. So with that said, let me pray, and then we're going to jump straight into, uh, into today's message. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, we thank you that you are here. Uh, we thank you that we don't have to manipulate uh, you to be here, uh, but you want to be here more than a lot of times, and we want you here. And uh, we just ask now that you would um, show to us now uh, what we need to, to hear what we need to feel from this text. Uh, may you help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful this morning. Help me to remember the things that will be helpful. And Jesus, may your name be glorified and made famous this morning. We pray for those who are far from you. Uh, maybe those who don't consider themselves disciples of Jesus, that they would come near by your Holy Spirit today. So we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, there's this thing uh, this year with 2020, the year that shall not be named. Uh, anticipatory grief, right, where we all expected to do things and they just didn't turn out. Uh, one of the things that we do every year, uh, my family and I have three kids, um, we go to Movie World. And it's the best of times and it's the worst of times for us because we have to wait online. We have to wait online at SeaWorld, we have to wait online at Movie World, we have to wait online at the Waterworks Park or whatever it's called. We just have to, there's a lot of line waiting. And if you've ever um, been to theme parks, I used to love as a kid, I grew up in New York City, but we used to go to New Jersey at this theme park called Six Flags Great Adventure. And they had the scream machine. And I remember as a 10-year-old just waiting waiting and you wait and you go to theme parks and you wait and you wait for 30 seconds of glory, 30 seconds of joy, but you wait. And then add into the mix, you're waiting with kids and it just becomes like the second layer of Dante's hell or something like that. It just becomes really difficult to wait. And then what they do, right, they introduce the fast lane, right, fast track. And it makes us normal people feel this little because, you know, you, you've already spent so much money just to get into the park, and you've spent like $12 on a can of Coke and $35 on a hot dog, and you're like, then I got to spend like a kidney to get on the fast track, and, and we don't do that, right? But they, they get something. They get these, these theme parks, these insidious people, right, sitting in a room saying, trying to figure out how to get more money from us, we'll make a fast track because people hate to wait, Right? Even though we wait so much of our lives, even though so much of our time is spent waiting, we still are not trained to wait well. In fact, uh, Timex ran a survey. Uh, now, this is, these are American stats, forgive me. We, we, we tend to be American-centric. But I would say this would be similar to our demographic here, where on average, we wait about 20 minutes for a bus or a train daily. Uh, we spend about 32 minutes waiting to visit a doctor, 
We spend about 28 minutes in security lines when we travel or used to travel. Uh, we spend about 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready to go out. 13 hours we spend annually waiting on hold at a customer, you know, for customer service. If you're with Telstra, double that, right? Or INET, all, all those folks. Uh, we spend about 38 hours waiting in traffic a year. If you live in a big city like Sydney, New York, Tokyo, other places, you spend about 50 hours a year annually waiting in traffic. If you take up all of our time and put it together, we're spending about 37 billion hours each year waiting somewhere. Now, 37 billion hours, it's like, oh, that's a lot. That's a few days, right? No, that's 4.2 million years spent collectively waiting per year. So humans will spend approximately six months of their lives waiting in line for things. Imagine, you know, you, you say, you know what, I'm gonna go to Woolies. I'm gonna spend my whole time, I'm gonna spend, what is it, six months waiting on queue at Woolies to never wait again, right? Like just imagine, you're spending six months of your life waiting, three years queuing up. Man, the average person spends about 43 days on hold right, over your whole life. If you're catching the bus or the train, you're, you're spending about 27 days waiting for a bus or a train over your lifetime. And so imagine you're on Parramatta Road waiting for the 440, 27 days. You're like, I'm just going to get all my waiting over and done with right now, right? And if you're from New York, I remember catching the subway. Somehow, you feel that if you peer over the edge into the darkness of the tunnel, that the A train is going to come right? But you're waiting, and you're waiting. We spend so much time waiting. And despite this, despite all of that, we have a very hard time waiting. We're not trained to wait well. We're forced to wait, but we're not trained to wait well. We're not accustomed for it. Our, our culture doesn't train us to, to, to wait well. There was a study done of 6.7 million unique visits to a website, to a, a, a streaming site, and if a video buffered for two seconds, out. Just imagine that, right? Like, you turn it on, you click, and you're like, ah, I'm done. This is too long. I can't, you know, I don't know if that was 1.5 or two seconds. Too much. For every additional second, another 6% drop. The point is that we are not trained to wait well. Our culture doesn't train us to wait well. In our environment, at home, at work, uh, even at churches, churches that will elevate efficiency and speed to the place of, of, uh, of God, we, we tend to be trained to not wait well. Now, we're not the first culture that doesn't wait well, uh, although we Westerners, we turn it up to 100, uh, but we're not the first ones who find it hard to wait. The Israelites also found it hard to wait on the Lord. They were tempted to walk in the ways marked by a culture of impatience. They were, they were trained, they were tempted to walk in the ways of a world marked by impatience. And this was, this was true not only in the time of Isaiah, which was about 700 years before Jesus came, but it was true at the inception of the people of Israel at the mountain. When Moses was up at the mountain, and it, it, the, the way that the, the author of Exodus is painting that picture, it's like a wedding Right? While Moses is going and getting the vows, man, they're already making a calf. Right? Like, they weren't trained, and they didn't wait well. And so we're not the only ones, but it feels like we've turned it up to 100. But Israel, at this time, uh, at this time of the writing of Isaiah, they were experiencing tremendous political pressure. I mean, you have this beast, this political uh, and war-mongering beast of Assyria, 
that, that is breathing down their necks, about to take them over. They're about to be exiled by this conquering uh, establishment of Assyria. And there's nothing like stress or anxiety to reveal the ways that we grasp for control, the ways that we, we, we grasp for a way to make sense of things, a way that we try to bring some form of equilibrium back into our lives. There's nothing like that that reveals us. And here, while the Assyrian Empire breathes down their neck, they're tempted to gain some form of control. And here in verse 19, this is what they do. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? And so you picture this. What was happening is that people uh, saw this happening around them, and instead of inquiring of God, instead of waiting on God, they go to necromancers, they go to mediums. This would be, uh, in essence, us saying we don't trust in our future, and therefore we will go to a tarot card reader or something like that. You can imagine you can imagine what Isaiah is feeling. You can imagine what God is feeling, saying, shouldn't you inquire of me? You go to the dead to inquire about the living? And, so, and maybe all of us, we, we think, ah, I'm cleared of that. I don't go to a tarot card reader. I, I, don't, I don't go to a psychic, right? So I'm good, right? But so often we do the same thing. We, we fail uh, to wait on God, and so we choose our own way. We go our own path. We get into relationships that we shouldn't get into because we fail to wait on God. We make decisions and we take uh, jobs or take uh, jobs across the world. Why? Because we haven't waited on God. We, we take our own path to our own happiness, to our own flourishing instead of waiting on God. And the people of God knew that they shouldn't have done this. It wasn't like, ah, you should have told us, huh? Like, but Leviticus 19 says, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God. And so while God here is hiding his face, Isaiah says, from them, rather than waiting patiently, they decide to go their own way. And we act out of our own impulsivity, our own reactivity, rather than our friendship with God, and we end up doing the very same things that they do. We end up becoming impatient with God and going our own way. But Advent shows us another way to be human. Advent shows us another way to follow the King. Advent shows us another way to wait. See, because in the age of microwaves and iPhones and Uber and Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and any other way that we uh, waste our money, and all the political chaos around us, like the world that we live in, we've been discipled to become certain kind of people. We, we must be gratified instantly, right? Two seconds, two seconds just to wait for, I don't know, whatever you're watching. Like, I'm watching like Iron Man again. I don't know what, what, what you're into, but, but two seconds. And we just, we cannot, we cannot deal with that. We cannot deal with buffering. And most of our life, and if 2020 showed us anything, it feels like the world is just buffering, right? This whole year is just one of a liminal space, a space in between, 
and, and we just want to get to the next thing. Right? We have so much hope in, in 2021. Right? 2021. This is going to be 2022, part two. Right? Like, we're all going to wake up and our iPhone's going to be 2022, part two. Right? Like, I, we, we have this hope that 2021 is, is going to be the savior. And yet, God is wanting to do something in our waiting. He doesn't just want to get us through this year, but he wants to do something in you in this year, in the waiting, in the liminal space. He wants to make us into a certain kind of people. Because, this is, this is the truth, that God is always looking for those. He's always looking for someone. He's always looking for a people who will serve as signs of stability, of patience, and of hope in a culture that is marked by impermanence and cynicism. He's always looking for a people to serve as signs of stability, of patience, and hope in a culture that is marked by impermanence and cynicism. Read with me here from uh, verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, his name, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken and they shall be snared and taken. He goes, he continues, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching amongst my disciples. I will wait for Yahweh. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And so that short part begins with this idea of fear. Right? Why is it so often that we react so impulsively? Why is it so often that we run from the idea of waiting? And oftentimes, we enter into uh, the bad or the unwise decisions that we often make because we're impatient out of a fear. Now, it may not be a fear of an impending doom and an impending uh, um, uh, political structure trying to take us over, but so often we live with a fear of missing out. And so we look at other people's lives and we look at other people's feeds and we say, look at what they have. And, and we fear that we miss something here. And we're not, we're not satisfied with the station that God has us in. And so we, what, out of fear of missing out, we go our own way. But that is not to be the way of the people of God. We are to have God as our fear, God as our dread. And what happens? That he becomes our sanctuary. Now, sanctuary... When I grew up, in the, in the culture that I grew up in, the church culture that I grew up in, was the house of God, right? It was the place where you went to worship. But sanctuary not only just means, means that, and it was, it was that because it actually meant something else. It, it means asylum. This word means safety, a haven, immunity. God becomes our immunity when we wait for him. God becomes our haven, our safe place. He becomes our asylum as we wait for him. And we become then to the, you know, as we hide in the one who is hiding his face, right? That's an intentional play on words uh, that Isaiah is doing here. When, When we hide in the one who's hiding his face, we then become portents, signs of stability and of hope 
in a world that is steeped in thick darkness. And that is the point of Advent. The point of Advent is to, uh, uh, is, it serves as a circuit breaker in our culture. Not because everything in us now, every, all of our schedules, all of our calendars, I mean, we have, we have work parties, we have family parties, we have in-law parties, we have to go shopping, right? Our culture, while it is ramping up to this fever pitch of activity, Advent is telling you to stop, to wait, to still yourselves. That in a world steeped in darkness, we can actually become signs of stability and hope. Come back with me to verse 14 again, this, this idea of, of sanctuary, of of safety, something that a lot of us have not felt this year. For many of us, our mental health, which may have already been on the rocks, has deteriorated further. Uh, Relationships and abuse and alcohol abuse and pornography abuse and all, all, all of these things in our culture have so ramped up because life has stopped in a lot of ways and it's revealed us. 2020 didn't create us. It reveals us. The ways that we go our own way, the ways that we go to our own forms of necromancers and mediums, the the, the ways that we feel we grasp for for some sense of equilibrium in our lives, this has just revealed us. It It didn't create it. But God becomes our asylum as we wait for him because God is far more concerned to do something in you while you wait He wants to make you into a certain kind of people together. He wants to turn you into images of his son. He wants to turn you into images of grace and holiness. That is not a dirty word, by the way. He wants to make you into people that will represent him in this world. And yet we go our own way. For us, waiting is just something we have to do to get somewhere. But God is going to, he repurposes our waiting to do something in it. And Advent, as we stop and as we think about God coming to us, that even, listen, even when we are unfaithful in our waiting, God is faithful in his coming. That even when we are unfaithful in our waiting, even when we don't wait well, God is faithful in his coming. And this is what Advent is all about. This marks our calendars so that we can recalibrate our hearts to wait for the coming God. The God who's come in Jesus and the God who's going to come again. And Jesus has this uh, question at the end of one of his uh, parables, one of his stories. And he says, he, he asks the question, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will he find faith when he comes back? Now, James, I don't, I don't want to take his, 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 his heat. He's going to do that next week as just thinking about what it looks like for Jesus to come back. But there is a way to wait that is marked by the kingdom of God. But listen, this is not a passive waiting, right? When we think about waiting, we think about passivity. There's nothing to do. I just need to wait for something to happen. But Eugene Peterson helps us here when he says this, that hoping and waiting does not mean doing nothing. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations. And and, and if this year has done anything to me, it's revealed to me my own ways of 
panicky manipulations to make sure that things make sense to me, of scurrying and of worrying, and hoping is not just dreaming, it's not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom and our pain. And if waiting reveals anything, it's our boredom and our pain, the lack of wonder that we have lost in this world, that we feel that the moment we have to wait, we pull this out. Like the moment, right? And you can't even go to the bathroom anymore now. By yourself. You bring the whole world with you. You can't wait for the train by yourself. You can't wait online by yourself. We can't do anything by ourselves. We, we bring the world with us. Why? I'll tell you why I do it. It's to run from my own boredom and my own pain. He continues. It means, rather, a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it in his way and in his time. And if Advent is about anything, it is about learning to wait for God. We must understand that the forces coming up against us to, to help us not wait well are strong. And there are two particular forces that I want to talk about today. That was all intro. This is the sermon. I'm joking. We're almost, we're almost there. But two forces, two forces that come up against us, that train us to not wait well. One is external and one is internal. The first one is, is the enemy, the ancient serpent, the adversary, the Satan, right? He would want nothing more than to tempt you to take a shortcut in your life for the promises of God. See, Psalm 1611 says this, that at the right hand of God, there is fullness of joy, and if life is about anything, if life is about anything, if we do anything for anything, right, it's to gain joy. And that's where we gain joy. We gain joy at his right hand, in his presence. And yet, and yet, we go our own way. And that's exactly what Satan does in Matthew chapter 4 when he tempts Jesus Christ through his temptations where one of the temptations, he, he, he takes Jesus up to this high mountain and he, help, he, uh, he sees all the kingdoms of the world and he tells Jesus, like the son of God, he says, if you bow down to me, I will give you everything. Now that wasn't a false promise. But that was a promise that needed to be fulfilled through the cross. And so often, the things coming to us, we're not prepared for, that God wants to do something in us to prepare us for what he has for us. But we so often will take the shortcut. And so, the good things that come to us, come to us in cruciform shape. They come to us in the shape of the cross, but so often we would much rather bypass this reality and take matters into our own hands. We fail to wait. And there's a force, there's a real enemy out there that, train, that, that, that influences us to not wait, that sets up structures and systems that will inevitably make us into a certain kind of person. But also, second, is we get in the way of waiting well. And we do this because we are unable to be in a room alone with ourselves for 15 minutes. 
In order to wait on the Lord, in order to learn how to wait, we need to learn why we are so reactive, why we are so impulsive. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to begin to practice some form of interiority, looking within. A friend of mine wrote a a really great book, The Deeply Formed Life, and he says this, interior examination is a way of life that considers the realities of our inner worlds for the sake of our flourishing and the call to love well. Yet, much of modern life resists this kind of living. As theologian Ronald Rollheiser warned, the air we breathe today is generally not conducive to interiority and depth. We live on the tip of the iceberg, and for various reasons. Many of our days are strategically and subconsciously constructed to avoid looking beneath the surface. We often belong to church communities that reinforce a lack of this, a lack of introspection. And we use God, this is the scary part, right? That we can use God to run from God. And we use God activity to run from ourselves. It's so easy to do this. And so how do we fight How do we become people of depth? How do we become people who are stable in a culture of instability? How do we become people of hope in a culture of cynicism? How do we become people of balance in a culture that just is out of whack? Two things. One is that we practice prayer. Prayer is spiritual warfare. Prayer isn't just asking God for things. Prayer isn't something that, it's not a letter you send to the North Pole for goodies. That's how often we think about prayer. Prayer is something that I do in order to get something. But that's not the way prayer works. Prayer is cultivating a friendship with God. Prayer is fighting against the enemy. Prayer is saying, Lord, strengthen me to become the kind of person that can bless others, to become the kind of person that is attractive, the, the kind of person that attracts people into the kingdom of God. And so we pray. The second practice that I'd love us to embody during this Advent season is is silence. That silence is scary. Let me tell you why. Silence is not just about quieting the outside noise, but silence is about quieting the outside noise so that you can wrestle with the inside demons. Spend a few minutes in silence this week. What comes up? What pain, what anxieties, what trauma, what boredom, what, what, what is there? And unless, listen, unless we begin to wrestle with ourselves, we could never offer something, to, we, we can never offer something prophetic to this world. We can't offer people something that we don't possess. And if we're going to be people of depth, if we're going to be people of stability, if we're going to be people of hope in this world that is steeped in darkness, Isaiah says, then we must learn to wrestle with ourselves. And this is the beautiful thing, that as, even as we wrestle with our own demons, even as we wrestle with that inner lawyer that says, you're not enough, Pardon to all the lawyers. That's a, that's a noble calling. But th- there's, this, there's this inner p- prosecutor, right, that only comes up when you let him or let her come up. When you don't have to pull up your phone, pull out your phone, 
or turn on Netflix in order just to give you enough time to actually wrestle with that. And that's what silence is about. Silence isn't just to get a break from the noise, but it's, it's to get a break from the noise so that we can wrestle with ourselves, so that we can become the kind of people that can offer something of substance to the world. The world has enough false hype. What the world needs in this season is not just another way to do life, but it needs hope. It needs light, and God has called us as his image bearers to be those things, to be signs and to be portents in this world, in this culture. More important than what God can do for you to just end your waiting, man, this is the time where he's working most deeply in you, whether you realize it or not. And the question is, do, like, do you want to lean into that? Like, that, that's, that's the question. You know, Augustine famously said, St. Augustine in the 4th century, he, he, he famously said that uh, without God, we can't. Right? Meaning that without God, we, we can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from God. But without us, he won't. He has so chosen to partner with you in what he is doing in you. And two ways that we can embody this is through prayer as spiritual warfare, but as silence to be able to, to learn and wrestle with what's in here so that we can be, become people who offer something prophetic to the world. More important than what God can do for you to end your waiting is what God is doing in you while you're waiting. And this is what Advent is all about. It's about learning to wait for the once come and the coming again, Lord of the world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. Uh, God, despite what is... Uh, happening, and we don't, we don't deny our harder feelings in this room. We don't, we don't do fake. We don't do pretend. We don't deny the hard realities of the world. And yet, we want to say that in the face of these hard realities, we want to become a people of hope, a people of stability, a people of grace, a people of depth, a people who actually offer something different to this world. So help us to learn to wait well. We thank you for your grace to us in Christ. We thank you that even as we wait, even as you hide your face, you are more present to us than we are to ourselves. And so we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.